Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joined on the phone, I have Vance. Hi, Vance. Good evening. Good evening. We might have Todd jumping in later. We're, we're not entirely sure on this one quite yet. Um, but we do have, as Vance pointed out like a minute ago, months in the making, we have Jared Sayers. Hey, Jared. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Good. Good. All right. I'm going to hammer through my plugs, and I want to get right into uh, – What's up with, with Jared here at the Fish Commission? So uh, this podcast brought to you by Fatty Z Muskie Products. FattyZMuskie.com is our website. Uh, there you can find what is left of the baits from this year's inventory, which is next to nothing, but there is some there. Rod holders, everything is in stock as far as I can think on the spot. There is some stuff kind of low, but... For the most part, everything's good. It's it's that time of season. More people are hunting than they are uh, fishing. So uh, usually this is like Christmas gift time. So if you have something in mind, um, sooner the better on the ordering part because there's no guarantees, especially in this market. Um, I'm going to say that's good for me. Vance, take it away. Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishandguides.com. Give us a call, uh, email, text, call whatever to get on the books for next year. If you know when you're coming, uh, please get a hold of us sooner rather than later. We're going to be starting up in Pennsylvania, uh, end of March, April, all the way through May. And then of course, at the end of May through the end of November, we will be at Chautauqua Lake. Um, give us a call. It's a good time. And, uh, if you do fish with us, shout out to Ranger boats for sponsoring the show. And Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, uh, we use them all year round. Enjoy them. Uh, get all your ranger boat needs at Vic Sports Center in Kent, Ohio. Um, they have Starcraft, Starwells, Tritons, Rangers. They're taking orders again. Things might be getting back to normal. Um, but possibly not. Who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, check them out for service as well. People are putting their stuff away, as Andy alluded to, getting ready for hunting, um, things of that nature. St. Croix rods, best rods on earth. Used them all season, broke them, used them again. Um, and recently, I've had some snow on my aqua traction flooring. Andy, take it away. So kind of going along the themes of people kind of packing it up, um, you know, maybe something you'd want to, you were thinking about all summer and, you know, I'm just going to give a friendly reminder on this. Um, a big, a big improvement that I've noticed for what little I use my boat and Vance just kind of hinted at is, you know, largely overlooked is the flooring of your boat. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole host of options, but something that is coming up, um, more regularly is this foam. Uh, I'm going to call it just like floor covering. And I've been talking about it now for getting pretty close, you know, better part of a year. Um, is aqua traction. And this would be something that would be a really good thing, you know, to try to do during the off season, you know, you can get some stuff scheduled and, but you know, let me tell you a little bit about this right now. So it's a hundred percent cross-linked closed cell polyethylene foam. It's a hundred percent stain resistant. It's non-slip. It's easy to clean. It's sound dampening. It's great on your legs, your back. It's, it's soft. It's a, it offers a cushion. It is great stuff. They make it to your boat. So it the fit is there, and it looks great. 
and it and it's it adds value to your boat. It makes it an attractive piece over other floor coverings. So, Vance, you want to add to it with the snow? Yeah, had snow on it all day uh, today and days prior, and uh, it's been nothing but grippy. Um, I can't speak highly enough about it. Might be my favorite thing on the boat, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Next to the cigarette lighter. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely that and the buddy heater right now because it is it is quite cold but uh we are going to be experiencing a warm-up coming up here uh hopefully people get out and get fishing and with that if you need any contact information if you're in and around the our area here northwest pennsylvania contact nick at amfmarine.com that is the email address amfmarine is the dealership um, let's see here. If not, uh, just look up, uh, aqua traction for the nearest dealer in and around your area. All right, Jared. How you doing? <laughs> I'm Good. Still here. I, I know I, I, we tried to go quick. How was, uh, how's your fishing been this year? My fishing? Yeah. Oh, I had a great year. Um, spent a lot of time walleye fishing, a lot of time. Cat Pretty fishing. easy when you're using nets. <laughs> <laughs> and all those big electrical rods hanging in the water tell you what the lake erie fishing is so good right now it's it's about even okay it's pretty easy up there but uh just right now my brain's all steelhead so i've been steelhead fishing a lot this this fall already the run is better than i've seen it in 10 years um water's high flowing good no. Lots of people catching steelhead. We're actually doing a women's introduction to steelhead class this whole weekend, so I'll be helping out with that. You know, that's a lot of fun. Okay. Um, now, I mean, this Andy is completely. Todd and myself could use that class as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen to so many podcasts to go on excursion. We we ended up just me and Vance making sandcastles at at the mouth of Elk, more or less. It was my first and only time stealing fishing. <laughs> oh geez, you guys got to get up here. I'll, I'll get you on some nice water up in upper stretches of Elk. That well, of, of it's course, just, it's of, a- of course, you got all the connections, right? <laughs> yeah. Plus I live three minutes from some of the best fishing spots on the on the stream. So Yeah, I kinda I know. know where and abouts the I, I have an idea where you live. I'm not gonna say it on the show, but you're you're not too far from me. So uh but anyways, I I wanna I wanna talk a little just because I know this ain't a steelhead show, but I there is a thing that I've been, you know, hearing this was back when forums were a big deal. Um all the complaints about the steelhead numbers going down. Was that really right. a thing? Like in the past, say, 15 years, 10 years, that the, the numbers declined and all the old timers are complaining and they're going elsewhere? And Or is it just like a standard thing that you have to do is complain when you can't catch them? Yeah, so there's a lot there to weed through, you know, and it, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I spent a lot of time talking to biologists about it because I think it's important. You know, it's one of those very successful programs and we have to make sure we're doing things right on our end um, to keep that going. So there's a lot to weed through there. Um, first of all, I see lots of comments on Facebook, people saying that we've decreased the amount of steelhead that we stock now because we're also stocking brown trout and we used to stock a lot more. None of that is true. It's always been 1.1 million steelhead. 
Um, that is set by the Great Lakes Fishery Committee. It's a cooperative agreement between Pennsylvania and Ontario and New York and Ohio. You know, we have our quota that we're allowed to stock. We're not allowed to go over that. So we always, we always stock 1.1 million steelhead. Now I got to ask Time a out. question here. Time out. Is that yep. all coming from Pennsylvania? Yeah, the 1.1 million is from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and New York, and Ontario also have their own quotas, but they're they're much much lower. Good lord. Okay, that's wild, man. I didn't know you had your hands hands in this. It's kind of interesting, even though we're supposed to be talking muskies. But yeah, continue, I, Andy. I get my hands in everything. Like I'm just I'm one of those people that that's the best. I, if I find it interesting. Like, I want to know everything about it, and I want to ask questions and say, yeah. well, this sounds like it might be a better idea. Why don't we do that and just keep pushing for it until we keep, keep heading in the right direction? It's also interesting that you said that these kind of, like, uh, just hypotheticals will appear. Uh, you know, they didn't stock the 1.1 million. They put half browns in, and they ate everything. Right. And that's why we can't <laughs> get them. That's what they said about Chautauqua Lake. <clears throat> Really, uh, the, there's many forums, and forums are essentially Facebook group pages now. Yeah, right. Um, and people said that Chautauqua Lake was not stocked the last two years with muskies. <laughs> how how, oh, how really? would how would they know? Like, because I'm not catching the ten inchers. Because they didn't <laughs> come up in June and just stumble into an idiotic post spawn one in the southern basin. Okay. So they they would make this stuff up. They're like they're dead, they're gone, and I I've heard they they've stopped stocking. And, and uh, local restaurants are now serving muskies that they net from the lake. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> they they've stopped stocking the reservoir Chautauqua Lake. It's just there's so much crazy crap that goes on, and it's hard to like step. You know, luckily I'm busy, or I I would jump on that stuff, and that's why people have time to say things like that on forums because they're generally not busy. And uh, it just, things like that are insane. There was a stocking truck at Chautauqua Lake last week, just pooping out a bunch of little fingerlings. So just wanted to touch base on that. Thought it was great. Um, Muskie's such a small, small thing. Trout drives the business kind of. So I could only imagine um, how terrible of a job you're doing. <laughs> exactly it's crazy you know and you know and obviously the pot the survival of our the fingerling steelhead that we put in there goes up and down versus you know conversely with the the walleye population so when the walleye population is booming like it is right now the survival is not going to be as good as it would be if the walleye population was down and that's that's just the way predator prey relationships work you know what i mean it's it is what it is. So in the um, 90s, when the walleye was kind of dipping <laughs> low, that's when the steelhead were kicking butt. Exactly. Oh, man, that, that makes too much sense. I mean, why why could you wrap it up in two sentences like that when it's just easier to blame somebody? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, all this great fishing I have in the summer, I really want it to continue into the fall. But, man, it's not my fault. And obviously, it's all these fish that eat all these other fish. It's not their fault either. It's the people who put them <laughs> in the water. Exactly. Yeah, it's the you people know? that are trying to maintain the habitat and that I mean, stuff. There's so many walleye right now. You can just you could fill everybody you know's freezer without much trouble, and it's a blast. But people would rather complain about the yellow perch population not being great right now. You know, like yeah, I love catching so, yellow perch, but 
when the population of yellow perch is high, that's what I target. When walleye population is high, that's what I target. You know, you gotta you go for the low hanging fruit. Nature, you know, exactly. <laughs> well, it might be easy for you. I sh- I had a a somewhat crappy year with my three outings this this summer up to the lake, but um, <laughs> the I want to talk about um, how do you, did you obviously did you, did you punch a ticket? We we punched a single ticket one time. It just it was it was a debacle. Like every time we went out, it was just something after another, and I just eventually gave up. Yeah, the boat was out. I had the boat out what three times? I don't even think I took it inland. I had my boat out three times this year. Oh, that's the best. But anyways, let's get back to something that's not concentrated on me and how I suck. Um, no, it's not your fault. It's Jared's. Of course. <laughs> that's why he's on the phone is I need to have a bone to pick with him. Um, how do you guys – you have to go off of these steelhead by weight. Like an average weight is whatever. There's no way you're counting 1.1 million fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're – you know, we we try to get them up to 188 to 190 millimeters is when we stock them, um, and that's very specific based on we have to stock them right before they go through this multiplication process. So we put them in the stream, they go through this multiplication process, and they by going through that process in that particular stream, they'll imprint on it. Now the other thing, you know, I could talk about this for three hours, guys. Like, so just oh, cut me off okay, when you give when us the Reader's Digest version. But this is really interesting. Like, so what people don't realize, they talk about how much steelhead roam and stuff. Well, that's true because when we're going to stock 1.1 million of them, it's really hard to get that many fish stocked at exactly the right time. So some years maybe it's half, some years maybe it's 70 percent to go in at exactly the right time. And those fish will return to that stream. You know, the ones that were a little bit too big or a little bit too small, those are going to be the fish that tend to might end up in New York or Ohio, or they end up going further up the stream than they were initially stocked, things like that. You know, there's a lot of variability, but it has to, we try to hit where we try to stock them when a majority of the fish are going to multiply right after we stock them. Well, if you stopped buying brand new trucks every year and hired more people, you could do it right. <laughs> I'm glad sure. you know these are jokes. <laughs> yes. I did finally see my first brand new truck pickup truck this year. Oh, did you? We got a, first, we got a brand new pickup truck. Just uh, we, <laughs> we, got, we got a brand new 2021 Chevy. Uh, Full time. We're going to put a tank in the back of it for doing smaller stockings. But I've been in the fishing book industry for 14 years, and it's the first new truck I've seen. Okay, I mean you've you've heard that, right? Is that they're driving around in brand oh, yeah, new trucks? Oh yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> with big cigars hanging out of their mouth, I lighting them with hundreds. <laughs> don't get me, don't get me started on trucks. But I think this is all a great bridge. Uh, you are, you have your hands in in everything, and of course, trout drives the industry. And you still have time to have this kind of like pet project of musky stocking and and where Pennsylvania muskies are right now. Um, you know, let me let me jump in there real quick too, because you know the reason. You know, I don't think trout drives everything. You know what I mean? That I think that is a giant misconception. Okay, let's hear about um, it. What do you, yeah, let's 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 see the data. So, <laughs> from my point of view, you know, trout driving the money is a lot like saying, "Go hunting drives hunting license sales." Because everybody goes and buys their license right before, you know, 
whatever day in June you got sent for your dough permit. So that's when all the license sales are. That's when all the money comes in. But nobody says dough season drives is what funds us. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Sprout season is the very first thing in the spring. <clears throat> that's when everybody buys their license. But, you know, I don't – and I'm sure it it is all obviously a great program. It's A lot of kids get out there and have fun. A lot of adults get out there and have fun. It definitely – is a great Pennsylvania tradition. I'm not trying to take that away from it, but I think, you know, only like, there's like 68% of people bought their trout stamp this year. So if you take 30% off the top that aren't even going trout fishing, but still buying a fishing license, and then you take, you know, there's another what 10 or 11% that buy the Lake Erie combo permit. So they're, you know, either fishing for steelhead and or trout and or walleyes. So they're probably going to buy their license anyhow. You know what I mean? You're getting pretty down, pretty darn close down to 50% of the population was going to buy their license, whether you stock trout or not. And then you add that on top of, you know, three days after the first stocking, there's more people in every parking lot at Pirate Tuning than there is at any single fishing stocking location that I can find. You know, granted, that might be different down in Center County or other parts of the state. But my point yeah. is that I think if we focus on warm water species, and I kind of throw the steelhead in there, too, because it's a different animal. You know, people fishing, if we can get excellent walleye fishing and then in the rivers and a couple inland lakes, we have excellent striper fishing, excellent hybrid striped bass fishing. And excellent musky fishing. You know, if we have those things that are going good, we can get some public parks and stuff that are just tremendous for channel catfish. I think you can drive license sales more with that kind of stuff than actually relying on the trout to bring in the money just based on those numbers. That's kind of my theory and why I I, I focus the way I do. Okay. That, yeah, that's, that's a, a theory. And you completely crushed my bridge to saying that you, you're doing such a good job. On buses <laughs> and other things, <laughs> but so that that's just fine. But I, I think that's a great theory. I think that's a fresh new look on uh, how to have everybody kind of have fun on the water. And um, obviously, this isn't a new thought that you had since you've oh. taken over some things. And uh, I think it, you know, with what you just said, with your numbers and what I, what I see on the water every day, I think it's working. I think it's refreshing. Um, and it's probably changing every year for now, the better. I, I kind of got something else on this license thing. So I think other states do this as well. I bet I can't speak for them. How big of a success is this fish for free days? There's like a handful of them throughout the year. Is that something that... Do you guys notice spurs a license sale or anything like that? I know that, man, I, I if 20 bucks is hindering me from doing something, I would just pay 20 bucks to do it. But you, you go to these fish for freeze on these parking lots, and it's just like these people are like, I'm not going to pay a nickel to do this, but when it's free, I'm going to. Right. I mean, it does. is there any kind of, you know, obviously yeah, you're, you, you're giving stuff a, away. Re- but We do get monthly reports, but they're, you know, usually those monthly reports are lagging a little bit and the quarterly reports are a little bit more accurate, but it's hard to pinpoint, you know, because I would think that little the sales are always going up. Like it's, it's amazing to me how many people 
buy their license halfway through the summer. You know what I mean? Like, but a lot of people do. So I would have to imagine some of those people are that, you know, that kind of crowd or they're just families that go out a few times a year to the local lake and, you know, what drawn some worms, you know, I don't know, but I, I don't think it can possibly hurt. Yeah. I, I didn't know if you're like, Hey, af- after like the first, you know, the, the first uh, fish for free day, um, within a week, we, we, we saw a uptick of 5% increase in sales, a second one. And it, you know, if it actually works or if it's just, you know, nice little PR thing. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. My, the, the reports that I get the, a chance to see don't have that much of a breakdown to be able to see that kind of detail. Okay. Okay. I'd like to think it works that way. Like, like you said, I just, I've never met somebody that wants to go fishing, but just doesn't because of the money. But you hear people say it all the time, but that just, it blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, they're not going to give an extra nickel because you know, they buy new trucks with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, I was thinking of, of also something that, like people that buy their their licenses halfway through the season, or the people that just got caught by the game commission. <laughs> we notice an uptick in fines around June, July, <laughs> on the opener of walleye, things like that. Right. It's beautiful. Okay, so let's talk a little bit of musky stuff. The last time we had you on was a little over a year ago, and we talked about the musky stamp and. This we're going to be talking about the completion of was it the second year of the muskie stamp or are we on the third? Correct. Okay, the second we're on our third now. Correct. So how how'd the muskie stamp do in year two? In year two, it was gangbusters. So in year one, it sold sixteen thousand dollars, which you know I thought was good, but I was hoping for more. And then in year two, it sold thirty two thousand dollars, so it doubled, Dang. which is Fantastic. I'd, I'd like to say you're welcome because that was uh, all driven by us. <laughs> yes, I mean, everybody <laughs> was pushing joke. it. Everybody <laughs> had their hearts in the right places, and I think it, it it's a it's a tremendous thing for everybody. All right, uh, thirty two thousand dollars. You said it did. Yep. How much were they? Was it ten bucks? Yes. Okay. Now that means thirty two hundred people. Correct. Yeah, thirty two hundred <laughs> people. I did math. I did math. <laughs> so I, I got a question. So that that's great that it doubled. Now, how did the how did that relate to the other stamps? It, it was pretty close, actually. All you know, the other we, stamps um, doubled as well. Yep. Nice. But, you know, we didn't lose ground, which is a great thing. You know what I mean? So I think everybody, you know, I was hoping for more the first year, but you know the people within my agency that we wanted, you know, people like you and me wanted to see a good turnout for musky anglers. They were impressed with the $16,000 a year. So the fact that everything else went up with, you know, all the COVID stuff going on and everybody fishing and license sales were up by like 23% overall, you know, for that, and the musky stay up to double with everything else was a good thing. It was a good sign. Okay. So if license sales went up 25%, but you went up a hundred percent, that means, you know, mathematically speaking, more people that were apprehensive of the first year or maybe didn't even know about it the first year actually pulled the trigger. This wasn't stemmed from new license sales. Right. That's a good I agree. thing. That is a that yep. is a good trend. Yep. Um 
All right. So now that you guys are rich and buying all these trucks with this money, what, what with what's left over? What what's the plan to do with it? Okay. So this year, um, we had thirty two thousand dollars to spend. So we're gonna buy. Um, and sorry it took me so long to get this to you. It's just the plan was just in flux for so long because um, there's a lot of conversations that go on. Like I told people from the beginning, you know, this money goes into a dedicated account, and then there's just tons of conversations about how best to use it. And this year, a lot of those conversations revolved around this was a great thing that the Muskie Anglers spent this much money. We want to do we want to do stuff. And this wasn't coming from me. This was coming from above me. People saying, we want to make sure we're showing them that we're giving them back. We want to show them that we know they want more fish. We know they want more data and more science behind what we're doing. So let's make sure we're focused on those things so they see we're taking their wants seriously. You know what I mean? And those conversations, while they're, they were tremendous to hear them happening, it just took a while to, you know, iron it all out. But we finally got a... A rock solid plan. So, what were what were gonna, some of the ideas thrown out there? I mean, it'd be interesting to hear. Well, most of most of them we're going to do. You know, we we didn't really eliminate anything because of the amount of money. It was just deciding how much money to put into each one. So, the only big money thing that came off the top was we're going to put in a second inline water heater at Lionsville, which will complete that program. So last year we did one for $15,000. This year we'll do another one for $15,000. And now those two heaters will be able to sustain all the heated water we need for the Muskie program. And we won't have to ever, you know, right. The one heater was able to take us through the beginning stages, which is tremendously helpful. And the second heater will give us enough that we can keep them on their own dedicated water source for the entire time they're within our hatch house until they go out to the Muskie unit outside okay so this this doesn't necessarily like double production but this makes it extremely comfortable it it makes it it makes it much more it it provides a lot of security to the program is one big thing because when we're when we didn't have a dedicated source we were also using that heated water for hatching channel catfish eggs and things like that you know anywhere we needed we were raising fish you might have to heat some water at a certain time. You know, even the steelhead, we heat the water a smidge just because we have to get them to a certain size by a certain point for us to ship them from Linesville up to the Fairview hatchery because they don't have a hatch house. So they go directly to the outside raceways. And we usually get like the third lot of eggs taken, which we usually get around Christmas. And by, you know, beginning of March, we have to have them up to like two and a half, three inches so that they won't go through their screens in the raceways. So we actually heat that water a little bit. So all those things, stealing water from the Muskie program made it so sometimes we had to do with less than desirable temperatures or, you know, it, we're right on the brink of failure, you know, and if the boiler would go out overnight, you know, we'd come in in the morning and all those tanks were down to 53 degree well water when there were at 72 degrees. Then those fish don't eat for three days. We lose 10 or 20% before we get them back up and healthy. It was just something we dealt with. You know what I mean? We had to be less efficient by carrying more fish. Um, 72, to, 72 degrees for the musky water. Right. That's three, three away from quitting time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't that's know if you're a, privy a, to all this this new don't fish oh, above yeah. temperature stuff, and it, it's it's every year it, the temperature seems to go down just a little bit with <laughs> with with a threshold that that these bu- bucket when biologists. When we have them outside, know. we're raising them as warm as we possibly can, seventy eight <laughs> degrees, eighty degrees, 
they grow great <sighs> at that. God. Sounds like you're going to start getting hate for that now. I'm going to tell you why <laughs> we're not catching muskies because that damn hatchery, they got the water temperature 80 degrees. They, they get so used to that warm water, they're not going <laughs> to, by the time they actually get active, that we can't fish for them. <laughs> <laughs> gonna... That's incredible. So it just sounds like it, it's just a much more comfortable habitat. Yeah, it's going to be, plus for... this year, was the first year using that new heater with a perfect water source that they're never fluctuated. And we are almost a month and a half ahead on growth going into the fall. These are our biggest fall fingerlings we've ever had. So as long as we get a good spring next year, everybody's going to be really happy with the, the yearlings we put out. Okay, I'm excited so, to see how big they'll be. So you're a month and a half early, just you're going off of just historic average. Historic average, so, exactly. So right now, while next year, you know, obviously we don't know the future, but you feel we're going to be even closer to what nature does, because that was our last conversation. Exactly, we had, yep. Is, what, what was nature, around 15 inches, give or take? Yeah, 14 to, 14 to 16 is probably what they're at. And, and and you guys are just under like that 12, 13, 14 mark? Yeah, we're, we start stocking at 12 inches, and then by the time we're done, you know, two weeks, it takes us two weeks to get them all out. That two-week window is all we need to get them to 14 inches. By the time we're done stocking, the last batch of fish going out is averaging 14 inches. But we can't – we've been having such late springs. If we can get a spring to come in just a couple of weeks earlier, we'll get there. You know what I mean? But and that's why we end up running into the hot water problem sometimes too is because we're waiting so long. It, you know, it snows until almost June, and then we have to get a couple inches on these fish really quick. You know, so we're holding them until we get there we know that magical size is working so we don't want to skimp on that and then by the time the water reaches 65 70 degrees all of a sudden boom it's shooting up to 84 degrees in that two week span that takes us to get the fish out okay odd so yeah you are this made up a lot of grounds and this second heater is going to just reassure everything's going to you have redundancy yep exactly it's this will I think it'll even give us another boost because, you know, this year that the first heaters, it takes us through the feed conversion process and gets us up to about two and a half inches, you know, but then when we have to split them out in the hatch house, we have to start using either lake water or cool it down with a colder well water um, just to get the enough flow, you know? So now with the second heater, we won't have to go to any other water source. We'll be able to stay on the dedicated heated water source for the muskies the whole time they're in the hatch house. So maybe we'll get them, you know, maybe we'll get another half inch boost there, you know, just from having a better water source for the entire time they're in the hatch house. Man, that's, that's really good with, with, I'm just sitting here thinking because you know, that, that first heater, let's just say bumped you guys six weeks on the average. This second one might add another couple weeks to it. So you may have cut down two months and it's it's possible. And is that, is that two months of, Extra feeding. I mean, you said they, they might come out a little bit larger. Does that mean they, they're they being fed minnows less to get to a certain uh, no, um, or No. I mean, we're going to we're gonna pretty much push them exactly like we always do because bigger is better, right? So Absolutely. We want Absolutely. them as big and fat and healthy as we possibly can get them. And if that's a 15-inch average, it's a 15-inch average. You know, we're – and, you know, my – reasoning for that too would be you know feeding at the rates we're doing and pushing them the way we do is how we keep them healthy you know if we if you you can't 
you can't cut them back like you can trout and say, okay, we're up to size. We're going to give them a half ration for the last month and they'll be fine. You know, you give these guys a half ration, you're going to have half as many fish in a month because they're, they're just going to hammer each other. So we do that to keep them satisfied so they're not hitting each other and so that they're growing and they're strong and they're able to fight off disease in that warmer water. That's awesome. So th- there is a little backdoor, like something that, I don't know, that if you if now you're going to be getting them bigger, they're going to require more food. So subsequently, you're going to have these heaters. Now you're going to have a bigger food bill for these muskies. Yeah, in theory. Um, and that's where we give what? all this minnow money is going to save Yeah, you. exactly. The minnow funds that you guys um, and all the clubs contribute to certainly helps a lot, and it's going to, it makes a huge difference. I mean, the, these fish convert all that weight to poundage going out the door. It makes a huge difference. Um, as far as the cost of the hatchery, you know, yeah, it'll be another 1,000 pounds of food or something like that, but when you break it down per fish, I mean, it's, it's pennies. Um, it's really not. It's not that much. Okay. You know, I'm just looking at it like from, you know, a board member sitting here saying, well, you know, we got to feed them more, so let's not do it because yeah. it costs more. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I mean, that's, so that's good. So we, we got, we got another heater coming in and yep. what were some of the other ideas? So we got, so that's 15,000 of the 32,000. Then we're going to spend around $8,000, um, on fisheries management equipment, more coated wire tags, coated wire tag injectors and coated wire tag scanners. Um, these coated wire tag studies that they're doing are tremendously helpful, you know, and I really applaud the way they're doing it because they're, they're, they're bought in on it to the, to the point where um, they're not even, they're not even looking at data for now. They're looking at data for the future. You know what I mean? A good example of what I'm saying is, so <clears throat> this coming year, we're going to start stocking um, pure red, muskies in the Keystone Power Dam. Right now, the last several years, it's only been getting taggers. Now we're going to do half taggers and half purebreds. And every one of those purebreds that we're going to coat a wire tag in. Why? I don't know. Why not? Right? Like, it's because it's a fresh data set. It's a fresh reservoir. We can put purebred muskies in there. We can alternate with tagging locations based on your class. We can do growth studies. We can do aging studies. We can, you know, positively identified tigers from purebreds if anyone has a question you know things like that like the fisheries management is thinking ahead on things like that that i think five six years from now we might be able to look at keystone power dam and be like wow and it's in this mixed environment we learned this this and this you know and if we didn't do those tagging studies we wouldn't have that absolute definitive data to to look back at or to be able to age the fish and look at how they're growing in this reservoir versus this reservoir. So I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, fisheries management's excitement about the program. You know, like I've never seen them giving so much thought to musky studies as they are right now. So that's a, that's a great thing and a great use of money that we can get more biologists out there tagging fish and scanning fish and, um, It'll give us more data to, you know, when we have conversations 10 years from now about the 50-inch size limit, we'll have even more data about, you know, this is the speed these fish are growing in this lake. These are the speed the fish are growing in this lake with this 
prey population. Um, this is the harvest rate. You know what I mean? We can look at all that stuff and actually have rock solid numbers to look at rather than, well, this is what we caught in a trap net and this is how old we think the fish are. You know what I mean? When they, we think they were stocked kind of thing. Is that happening on some of the uh, lakes that have been heavily stocked uh, right now? With, yes. Is it, are you, are you uh, getting some concrete evidence of what their growth rate is on? Absolutely. Let's just say like pima tuning. Or yeah, every, every fish that the biologist captured in pima tuning gets a coated water tag and gets all its information written down. Um, Actually, those ones are getting pit tags. So they have actually have a personal identification number on those ones. So we can each fish gets weighed and measured. And then when they recapture that fish, maybe not the next year, maybe the year after that, they recapture that fish. It goes into a database that shows, okay, this fish grew 30 pounds and three inches over that two years, you know, or whatever. Um, that's tremendously helpful data. That's an enormous growth rate too, 30 pounds in two years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you just ate a big carp, you know. <laughs> um, but the coated wire tags, um, pit tags are very, very expensive. So we're doing that in five lakes across the state. But the coated wire tags is something we can do on a much broader scale. And you can almost get the same thing if you, you change the tagging location. So instead of knowing this particular fish grew a certain amount, you know, okay, we caught 15 fish that were three years old, and this was the average. We caught 19 fish that were four years old, and this was the average. You know, you can you can get kind of the same information based on your classes, but you can only do that if you have that coded wire tag that give you that positive, quick idea on how old that fish is for, without a shadow of a doubt. So can, can you break down what's the difference between a coded wire tag and a pit tag? Yeah, a coded wire tag is basically a presence-absence thing. You, you run the skin, it's a, um, it's a little piece of metal that gives off a signal, and when you run the skin or over it, it tells you if it's there or it's not there. So, and then from that point, you can put it in their cheek, you know, so it's up around the head, it's on the left side of the head. We know we stocked that fish three years ago. You know, if you put it down by the anal fin, okay, we're getting a coated wire tag signal down here. That was, we haven't done that since five years ago so that's the age class of this fish you know you move the tagging spot around it just tells you there's a tag here there's not a tag here the pit tags are actually uh, are a bit bigger tag they're much much more expensive and they give off a serial number so when you run the scanner over them it'll tell you this is fish 66 978 and then you you take that back home with you and you put that in the database you're like oh yeah we caught this fish three years in a row now you know and you can see the exact um data from that particular fish okay so so those wire tags more or less you're just running a metal detector over the fish and figuring out what side it's on pretty much okay how long do they last they last forever as far as we know we've been we've been doing it a while um edinburgh lake we were coated wire tagging fish back when i worked at the union city hatchery you know 12 years ago and uh those those tags are still showing up so um we have not seen any absent or any reason to believe that these fish are shedding these tags in any way. Money well spent. Yeah. Now those like the pit tags is there so the the coated wire tags there's no battery it's just a little piece of metal. Right. Pit tags is there some kind of electronic thing on it or it just you kind of have it 
this kind of signal is this, and it's all in the handheld device. Yeah, it's all in the handheld device. Somehow that the handheld device energizes that that little circuit or whatever's in that thing, and gets it just enough power to give you that signal. Okay. All right. So there's eight grand spent. Now we got about nine thousand left over. So one of the can I, can I just touch base on that real quick? No. Yep, go ahead. One, one more time. Uh, I think that's kind of an advanced way to uh, stock these fish. I just see all positives from it in new bodies of water. Um, when, to uh, to see if they're taking off or not, rather okay. than just uh, you know, because if you dump them into it into some type of of water for years and years and years, you're essentially throwing the money away that you've raised uh, with these pit tags. Boom, you get a uh, a case study on it. And it's like it's just not happening here. This this right. isn't isn't good. We gotta we gotta pull back. We gotta concentrate on something else. Um, so I love that idea of the tags. Um, wonderful. Good. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, it's just, it's exciting that we're heading in that direction. Cause I think, I think that's what takes us to the next level is, you know, we have, you know, another great example is we have like, uh, Shenango river lake, you know, down below Pimatuni. It's the muskies just never work there, you know, and it, but we stuck with that for a really long time, you know, because we're, everybody's always hesitant to, well, maybe it was just a few bad years or maybe it was just something in the environment. Maybe, you know what I mean? We didn't have any data to show us what was actually happening. Um, but if we were able to go in there and coded wire tag everything and see, okay, maybe these fish just, this fish is six years old and it's only you know, 32 inches long. They're just not thriving here. You know what I mean? There might've been more data to it that we could figure out with these tagging programs. You know, that's probably not a great example, but you know, the possibilities are endless. That, um, And the, the key is that our fisheries management staff is excited about doing them. So that's, what's going to give us the data we need to say, are we putting our resources in the right place going into the future? How do we, how do we make this thing keep getting better and better? Kind of to your example, have 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 the coded wire tags or pit tags ever axed a stocking program saying this? We've tried for ten years. There's no point in dumping any more money into this. This is where we recoup our money. Is no longer will we put thousands and thousands of dollars worth of fish into a body of water? Or yeah, not yet. It hasn't because you know to this point we've been kind of. Um, I think we've been putting our money where we could get the most data. You know what I mean? So that tended to be reservoirs where we're having success. You know, we back when I was working at the Union City Hatchery, we were stocking, we were tagging them for Edinburgh Lake. You know, so we have almost 10 years of tagging data for Edinburgh Lake now. That's where we did the the coded wire tag study that you know led to the yearling stocking program. Was in Edinburgh Lake stocking. We'd stock the same amount of fish in the fall and the same amount of stock fish in the spring. They all had coded wire tags and different, you know, spring stocked fish were tagged differently than the fall stocked fish. And we found that there was four to one spring stocked fish showing up three, four years down the road in the, in the trap net. So that's what led us to believe, okay, springtime is just a, a better time to stock fish and here's the data to prove it. And then you make yep. management decisions based off that. Right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. 
Sounds perfect. <laughs> it's cool, right? Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's it's refreshing to see some of this stuff, but, but that's kind of like a wrap up conversation. But okay, so now you got some money left over. How much for you? How much for me? <laughs> so we also are going to buy. Uh, actually, we have ordered um, five additional uh, pneumatic snap air snap feeders. Um, we got two bought for us from the Nittany Valley Club this year already. Um, we have four old ones that we're using that are just tremendous. You know, they're um, we re we took about eight old ones that we had laying out in the bar and we rehabbed them with new parts. And uh, we're having great luck with these snap feeders because they they deliver the feed to the whole entire length of the tank rather than dropping food in one little spot and having the fish have to come find the food. We're taking the food to the fish. Um, You're making the fish lazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these things you know i think these are these along with the heater you know all of these improvements are contributing to the the better growth rates the better survival rates everything we're doing at the hatchery efficiency wise is improving with every one of these steps so um we got two brand new ones from the nittany valley guys we got five ordered with the musky stamp money so we'll have seven new snap feeders to go along with the four old ones we have so that's going to be a, a huge boost to production next year because like i was talking earlier when we went from that two and a half inch fish to the four inch fish you know we got to spread them out in more tanks in the hatch house we ran out of hot water that we all that's also the same split where we ran out of uh, the good snap feeders we had to go back to the real round feeders you know so five additional of those is going to get us close to being able to um do all of those tanks, you know, maybe next year we'll get a few more and then we'll be set. I was going to ask but you like, gonna... how many do you think you need total plus maybe one or two for backup just in case? Yeah, exactly. So it's usually we have about nine tanks going when we at our, at our most and each, each tank takes two feeders. So 18 really would be the, the end goal. Um, but, you know, we're getting there. <laughs> and this year what we did was we would put, we'd put one snap feeder in the middle of the tank to put a round feeder below it and a round feeder above it. So we kind of we spread out the benefits as much as we possibly could. Yeah, could you notice a trend of, like, fish just uh, knowing when this, the, the feed was coming out, some would be uh, more docile and some were up front ready for the food? And then um, just maul it. A little bit, but mostly they're pretty much ready all the time. And the, the challenge in the past was that we would build large wire structures underneath those round feeders. So all the fish would kind of gather around it. And then when the food would fall, you know, they'd all dart in there and try to get some. And the, the question was, are they all getting enough? Do some gorge themselves and then move out of the way so other ones can move in? And now what I see is the fish are kind of lined up down the walls of the whole entire tank. And when the feeders go off, they all, they all dart in and there's no question in your mind. Everybody's getting what they need because they're not crowded. They're not fighting over it. You know, there's, everybody's got plenty of room to get everything they want to get. That's the biggest difference that I see. Everyone gets a slice of pie. Exactly. And when you're in, we're in the world of trying to get a half an inch on the fish six months down the road, <laughs> you're, you're thinking, you're always thinking in your mind, how do I get that fish to eat 
two extra pellets today. And if I feed him two extra pellets, does that mean he won't eat two later? Or is he going to still eat later the same amount, you know? So that's kind of the world we're living in, trying to make pro- progress with growth. It's all about calories. You got to get calories in the fish to get them bigger. Absolutely. And um, is there any money left over after that? There is. Funny shit. So that leaves us about, you know, a little less than $5,000, I think. Um, and this is where, this is probably the conversation that took the longest, but what we ended up doing is a lot of people felt very strongly that muskie anglers don't want to see waters come off the list. They want to see more places go fish for muskies. And the best way to show them that we understand that is to purchase some fingerlings above and beyond what we can raise and stock them in Shawnee Lake, which is a historically good muskie lake. And try to bring musky fishing back to that water. Um, is it no longer being stocked or? Correct. Well, Shawnee came off the list a few years ago. Um, it was just one of those ones that was, I think, I, I didn't see the data on it, you know what I mean? But I think it was one that just wasn't producing um, the results in the trap nets like you like you wanted to see. But I think there's been reports of anglers that said it was one of their favorite musky waters. So, you know, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of waters around the state that have come off the list that everybody would like to see, give another try with the yearlings, you know, maybe that would be the ticket that would make it a great water, but we don't want to rush into that because what's working now, you know, the key to the success over this, the last 10 years has been let's stock, better quality and more fish <coughs> where we know they're going to work rather than stocking less fish in more places and hope they do something. You know what I mean? So we don't want to stray from that what's working, but if we can do something in addition and show the musky anglers that we're giving the money that you gave us right back to you and then form a fish and a new place to fish for muskies, yeah, that's a win-win situation. And so with, with that extra money left over, the, the thought is, is I mean, you're going to go uh, knock on some neighboring state's door and said, hey, we'd like to buy some fish? Yeah. And actually, the stocking just happened about a week and a half ago. We, uh, we bought some, there were actually 9 to 12-inch fingerlings from Wisconsin for $13 a piece. And I had the number written down, but I forgot it. It's 365 or 385, something like that, fingerlings they stocked in Shiny Lake. Okay. There. I, I, I'm not familiar with that lake. About how many acres is it? That's 0.75 fish per acre. So what is that? It's about you know, 580, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a decently sized lake. And yeah. did, did you guys put any kind of uh, coated wire in these things or just to see how we they're did, going? Yeah, or? we did not because they came in from Wisconsin. It was more of a try to get them in the water because the, the travel was kind of stressful. But I would imagine when the um, when the biologists go back out there and reassess that water, they'll start tagging those fish. I would think. Um, I haven't heard that for sure. So that that lake was just performing poorly with trap nets, so it kind of was on the chopping block. It got axed, and so there's there right. is a year gap there. I would assume that there wasn't a lot of natural reproduction, was there? That you no, know I wouldn't. I would assume there was little to none. Okay, so there might be an actual real gap in it. Because like some of this stuff, like if you quit stocking certain lakes, it could take 
three to five to ten years before people start saying, hey, this kind of sucks. Right. Uh, just there's such a lag there because of, of the the adolescent stage of those fish. Yeah, but. absolutely. And the other exciting thing is, you know, we've also seen when there's been gaps or like, you know, like what happened with Tamarack Lake back in 2001, the initial stockings of sausage in the water usually are very, very successful. You know, it's the same thing happened out at Leaster Lake. You know, you're just, I don't know if you guys saw the newspaper articles the last couple of years about people catching taggers out there nonstop. It's because the very first tiger stocking that went in there, it's like every single fish lived. Now they're, the population's balancing itself out now after it's been, you know, eight years or whatever it's been. And people are only catching two or three a day, and they're like, what the heck? Where'd all the fish go? Like, that's still a pretty good population. No, they're just stocking so, less than 1.1 million. <laughs> <laughs> they're all dead. So, yeah, it's kind of neat that, you know, if you think about be something I'm going to want to watch is, you know, can we go back to these waters that haven't been hit for a while and put one a good initial stocking, some quality fish in there, and will that will that stocking take off and provide a, a decent fishery within three years? You know. So okay, let's so let's just say this lake responds well to to this these Wisconsin fish. It does that kind of put them back on the stocking program, and now you're you know on the hook to raise more fish or. Well, it'll, not necessarily, but it'll be, you know, it's conversations we can have, you know, because, you know, moving forward with the, this muskie stamp money, what I'm, one thing I'm telling everybody that'll listen to me is we got to start thinking more big picture. You know, these, the feeders and the water heaters and stuff and minnows and all that is great stuff, but eventually we're going to have all brand new stuff and we got to be thinking, what, what do we need for the future? You know what I mean? So in my, you know, romantic brain what i'm thinking is you try a few waters and see what you know marginal waters in the past now we're putting bigger fish in if we see success can we start can we take thirty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars of musky stamp money every year and save it for two years and put in a new concrete raceway which gives us we can raise ten thousand more muskies a year for free you know you know basically not buying them from somewhere else right now you know i think i think that would be a great investment but you know before you can do that you have to sell people on the idea that these fish are going to work in more places without taking away from what we're already doing do you think that this is i'm going to bring this around to where where we're at again do you think that um the survival rate is going to be better if let's just say you do get those fish an extra inch or two longer this year. Do you think that's going to have a higher survival rate than where they're at right now? Um, I have every reason to believe it will. Um, I don't think like an inch, I don't think between 14 and 15 inches is the key. I think I'm assuming when they, if we get from 14 inches to 15 inches, they're going to be even bigger around. They're going to be faster. They're going to be quicker to adapt, quicker to find larger prey. You know what I mean? They're just going to, it's just going to get them that little, that little bit extra towards um, being over that threshold where there's no turning back. You know what I mean? Once, once a, you know, once a muskie reaches 24 inches and he's fat and healthy and finding knows where to find his food, you know, he's good. He's, he's golden. You know what I mean? He's going to make it until something, somebody kills him or he reaches 52 inches. So, you know, 
we're just getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer to that. So if we can get them to 15 inches and they're, you know, better than half a pound a piece, you know, that just, that's less time from when we put them in the water to when they get to the point of no turning back, that fish is going to live. Okay. So I'm just going to throw stupid numbers out because I want to bring this back so I don't sound like an idiot. Let's just say that the the fish that you stocked this past year averaged 14 inches or something, and you had 80% success, you know, survival rate. Mm -hmm. If you think you get them up to 15 inches, you might have, I don't know, let's just make a number up, 85%. Right. Do you feel that with, with the added efficiencies at the hatchery and saying, hey, these things are, are you know, we're, we're getting an extra, whatever, 5%, 10% survival with these, we will maybe cut back the stocking 5 to 10% because these fish are, you know, kicking butt. And we'll then take those extra fish and move them to, you know, like those experimental waters right now that with the with the uh, the bot fish, is that kind yeah. of a thing? Or are you are you looking more big pictures? Let's let's pump this out a musky factory. Yeah, I think it's it's those are all conversations that I, I, I probably would imagine could happen. Um, I think you know everybody I've talked to, I I feel pretty comfortable saying that. We don't want, we're not going to change directions because we're seeing good success unless we see a detriment to the fish. So if we have five years of, of data, you know, showing that the fish are growing good, the fish are putting good, good distance between the rings on their annuli, annuli on, their, on their scales, you know what I mean? They're, they're reaching 40 inches by the time we think they should be. We're going to keep stocking it, you know what I mean? The only, I don't think we're ever going to say, okay, this is doing great. Let's cut back. You know what I mean? That's, that's something I want to fight against. I think if it's doing great, then we got to keep doing what's doing great. Um, unless we get to a point where, you know, there's, everybody's catching 10 fish every time they go out, but we're seeing these fish not reaching 40 inches by the time they should. You know what I mean? That means they're competing with each other. The food source isn't holding up. There's some detriment to the, the stock of that many fish. That'd be the only time. You know, I'd be in favor of okay. Let's let's look at a new plan. Let's back off a little bit here and look at putting some of these fish somewhere else. You know, um, that's not to say that we're not also going to have conversations about how to expand. You know what I mean? But I, I'm very I'm very much a proponent of doing what we're doing well and keeping that going well before we reach out. Okay. Cause that's how we get ourselves in trouble is all, you know, I, I know once you start down that road and a couple people make a couple decisions and all of a sudden, you know, you're not having the success rates anymore cause you're spreading yourself too thin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Vance, you were, you were about to say something when I was, I was talking. Well, I, I just had some, I, I just had a big picture, uh, goal hypothetical would you like and and this is a thing that always goes through through my mind lifetime in our lifetime of how good it is going right now would you like kind of take a tip of the cap if the new pennsylvania state record (laughs) was beat you know 
it was it, it's a goal you know to to get this but i know it's still young in this uh this new idea of stalking and things right. like that but like uh possibilities yeah i mean we're gonna get there you know what i mean and there's water bodies in the state that can absolutely do it we just have to get the populations right so that there's a, a few fish that can you know have the genetics and the, the longevity to to make it there mm-hmm. yeah i can see I'm people excited. I, I can't i'm just i'm super excited to see where this thing's going to be you know five six years from now i just yeah no no doubt it's going to be it's going to be unbelievable so in in general um are you seeing much of a diff are you seeing like huge numbers in uh how these fish are growing like do you find a three-year-old that's 30 inches and a three-year-old that's 40 inches or is it pretty consistent across the board right now yeah it's pretty consistent um i think you know i could if i talk to you know, five different area fishery managers, they could probably point to one or two waters that, you know, the fish in this lake seem to be a couple inches ahead and the fish in this lake seem to be a couple inches behind. But for the most part, it's it's pretty it's pretty consistent. I don't think we're, I haven't heard any fishery manager tell me that their fish are not growing as they would expect in any water. Nice. Okay, and just for... Uh... Just for anybody that's never listened to the podcast uh, in the episodes that you've been on, new people coming in, uh, what is what are you seeing in growth rate? So they should be in that around that twenty-four inch range by the end of their second year. So by the, by um, the spring of year two, they should be two foot. Well, they're they're a year and a, a couple months when we stock them. So I'm talking. By the time they make it through that summer, that following spring, they should be two foot. Yeah, from 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 when yep. they hatch in the spring, two calendar years later. Correct. Two foot. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then at the end of the next spring, they should be between thirty and thirty-three inches as a as an average. Okay. And then then that they start getting closer. You know what I mean? As you get up, so the, the end of year four. Is like 34 to 37, and then year five is, you know, 36 to 40, 41, you know. And then after that, it gets hairy, you know. It's really easy to tell the age of the fish up until age five, and then kind of genetics takes over, and some just keep growing great. It's easy to tell how old they are. In other ones, they slow down so significantly that it, it's, a, it's really hard to tell a, a five-year-old fish from a 12-year-old fish. Hmm. But we're working on that. They're doing, um, Brian Enzyme over is doing some studies on, he's got a, a special saw that he can take a clip off of the, the anal fin, you know, that hard ray on the front side of it. And he uses a special saw to cut that super clean and then he dyes it. And he can actually count the age rings in there. And uh, we're in the process of determining whether that's more accurate or not. So initial stages say it does look to be more accurate, but. Uh, we got California universities doing some studies with that um, for us as well. So we want to make sure we get enough data to be able to say for sure. But um, more accurately, we can age fish the better. So we're always going to be trying new things. 
Interesting. You you brought up there's a couple bodies of water, and we've talked about this. What if you had to put your money? Name name a couple uh, bodies of water in PA. You think that could give up a record? <clears throat> and you know, I if I had to put my money on one, it would be Kinzo. That's kind I, of what I was thinking. I, yep, I just think it's 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 got the historical prowess. It's got the problem with Kinzu is it doesn't have a small forage base. So fish tend to grow a little bit slow at the beginning. Um, you know, it's kind of different than most of the water bodies, you know, like. Because it's a hundred foot water... deep, five feet off the shore. <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's strange. You know what I mean? I think if you, I think in that water body, I would expect a muskie to probably grow a little slower. You know, we see that with the walleyes. You know, in Palmer Tuning, we see 15-inch fish at, on year three, and Kinzus are only 12 at year, 12 inches at year three. There's just not a, a good forage base for those little fish, but there's a tremendous forage base for big fish. So once they get over that hump, um, they're going to get huge, and the water's big enough to do it. You, you know, know there's Bigfoots um, in that country? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Okay, well, I had kids, to, I had to give that for go, Vance, but go ahead. Me and my kids go on Bigfoot excursions when we're out there. Do you ever oh, find one? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> out there. I'm going to find him. Just like the next record. That's right. When was the last time you heard somebody walking through the woods and seeing a dead bear? <laughs> Never, right? Right. Like, oh, Somebody would have stumbled across a dead body. Well, I've never seen a dead bear, but I know they're out there. Okay, I've definitely seen dead bears on the highway, but um... <laughs> I have yet to see a dead Bigfoot. But <laughs> what happens first? You finding Bigfoot or Pennsylvania <laughs> setting a new record for muskies, or be- beating the one that's from like 1920? I think it's going to happen. Was. I think it'll happen before my career's over. I sure hope it that's does. A, that's really cool. The unfortunate thing is that person's going to get their career is going to be over. So when the uh, epitome of uh, you know musky fishing is like releasing everything, the person that catches this record <laughs> that you've been working so hard for. Is his your career is going to be complete and yes and justified and his is going to be over right as we know it or the, her the, the woke culture of musky fishing right let me ask you a dumb question um, just random um, since we're on that topic of, of big fish I was hoping you say Bigfoot but go ahead not Bigfoot um, youngest 50 incher you've got in the nets that's a tough one because again, I fifty inches are almost impossible to, to age. Um, I could I could give a scale to six biologists and get six different answers. Their the rings are just there's once they're Explain it's that. like a yeah. so the rings on their scales are just like the rings in a tree. And uh, if you ever look at the rings in a tree, you can tell when the summer rings are and the winter rings are because when the trees growing fast there's more space between the rings and when the trees growing slow the, the rings are really close together but when a fish you know gets that big and it's 
you know, potentially 12 to 17 years old, those rings are right on top of each other. You can't even distinguish one from the other. And you're looking up, up towards the top of this, you know, you're looking at this thing under a dissecting microscope and you're looking up the top of your field of view and you can see these lines separate a little bit and you try to trace that one down over here because you see a little gap and you think, okay, maybe that's another line. Like, I mean, <clears throat> you can get it to the where it's plus or minus five or six years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's really bad. On a 15-year thing, that's a huge error. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. It's huge. So that's why we're searching for better ways to do it. That's where the coded wire tags are going to come in handy into the future. Um, it's just one of those areas that needs improvement. And it's so like I had a guy call me. You know, some people say I'm, I was watching this guy on YouTube, and he says this this strain of muskie grows faster than this strain of muskie is going to reach 50 inches by age 12, where this strain of muskie doesn't reach it till age 17. And I thought this guy like. I don't know who's telling you that, but I promise you they don't know what they're talking about because <laughs> I talk to people that they love doing this and they're experts at doing this and they can't tell you that answer. So there's no way some guy on YouTube's telling you that. But it happened on YouTube. It has to be real. <laughs> like I have followers, damn it. Um, the... that's, super, that's super cool though that when these fish are getting... Uh, there's still a mystique about them, and when they're getting this size, we still don't know what really is going on. Exactly, it, it, it's vague, and uh, I now because that, of the musky stamp is... money, we're getting closer and closer to, you know, exactly. knowing those answers in the future. Yeah, that's, that's just, awesome, right? Oh, it, it, it's incredible. But for now, still, if you hit that number fifty in the Pennsylvania waters and. And surrounding states, it's still such a special thing because you have no idea if, you know, you're holding this fish that's 10 years old or 17, like you said. Right. It's, it's right. really, really cool stuff. So those Wisconsin fish, is there mm -hmm. is there any concern of, like, if they get out and start breeding with the other, you know, the more native fish or, like, genetically they're, they're like, you're not really worried about having a cocktail muskie swimming around? I thought about, Andy, I thought about that. The Wisconsin thing has been on my mind since he's mentioned it. <laughs> and I can see people, like, getting amped up. It's like, oh, here they come, boy. The right. Wisconsin fish. The freaks. The real ones. The big <laughs> ones. Here they come. You know, but that could sell licenses. So should, we should, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's push that. Like, we have got Wisconsin fish in Pennsylvania. Look out record. <laughs> so it's a great question because we do, in, mo in a lot of circumstances, we look at those kind of genetics and we're very careful on not diluting our, our own populations. You know what I mean? So um, we would not want to do it in a place that dirt drains directly into one of the large flowing waters where we know there's good natural reproduction. You know, some of the, the dams that are notorious for losing fish over them, you know, Lake Arthur, things like that, you know, Tynesta Lake, you know, where we know they're going to flow into the Allegheny. Um, we, that would not be a good choice. Just preserving the integrity of the genetic population that's there is always a good thing. However, <laughs> With muskies, the, the natural reproduction is so low that it's, it's if it can be less of a concern, it's less of a concern. You know what I mean? So that's one thing. 
The second thing is genetic diversity, adding more genetics into a population. Usually it's going to add, it's going to add diversity that's beneficial to the genetic pool, or it's going to add genetics that are inferior and they're just not going to, they're not going to become dominant. Those, you know what I mean? They're not going to get perpetuated. So it's either going to benefit or it's going to do nothing. And thirdly, these, we've brought Leech Lake strain muskies into Pennsylvania for years. We've been trading back and forth with New Jersey and Michigan. <clears throat> Not so much in recent years since we've been doing so well on our own program, but in the past, we did that all the time. And I have records from the Linesville hatchery dating back in like the 1970s where they were importing Lake Erie spotted fish directly from Lake Erie down to Pomatuni. So those genetics have been bred into there. You know, and it only matters if you're squeezing the fish. You know, if it's a low reproducing population, you know, if we put if we put spotted fish in in Shawnee Lake, but we're not taking fish out of there and squeezing them, there's no natural reproduction happening. They're not those genes aren't going anywhere. You know what I mean? If we put them in pine tuning a brood or in one of our other brood lakes, and we're squeezing those fish and using those eggs for reproduction, then we're mixing that genetic material up and perpetuating it into the future. But you know, I, with what I've seen of what they've put into pima tuning in the past, it shows to me on their markings too, on the different fish that we get. Uh, um, you know, you talk to the guys up at the Union City Hatchery that spawn the tiger muskies, and until recently also did purebreds up there, you know, spawning the historical Ohio River strain fish out of Edinburgh Lake and Canadota Lake. Um, those fish are very much colored the same every fish in that lake looks the same um when we hatch them you know when they get up to about 10 inches those fish up in the union city hatchery are pretty are pretty well barred you know you, they have a very distinct bar you could almost um mistake them for a juvenile uh, northern pike at some stages you know how they have those those bars when they're you know, real young mm-hmm. um our fish at, at linesville even while they were doing that, we could hold them side by side and you can tell which one's which because our fish at Linesville are spotted when they're young. And then as they get a little older, they start developing the bars and some of them keep more of those spots towards the tail. And and then when you see people catching fish out of pounder tuning, it's it's all over the place. Some are some are pale, some are dark barred, some are spotted. You know, especially you know, I've never seen a pure spotted fish come out of there, but like they'll be like the second half of their body will be spotted. Um, yeah, so I just think there's, uh, a, there's a lot of genetics in there, you know. Do you know? And, do you know how like w- what strains are predominantly coming out of lines though? Well, there it's just it's all it's the you know at this point it's been three decades since any new genetics were put into there, so now it's it's I'd call it like the pine tuning strain. It's it's a mixture of all those strains that were put into there back in, back in the 70s, and it's it's its own strain, but. Um, and Union City Hatchery would struggle to get eggs on a year or something. They'd come down and grab a few females from us to take some eggs from. They always commented on, holy cow, these fish are just different. They're, they're heftier, they're bulkier, they're just bigger. You know, and they just didn't see that kind of that kind of fish out of the Ohio River strain in their water. So I think... Yeah, could, could you just, like, ramble off a mix, a jumble of, of what you were working with back in the like from the 70s up until now is it like wisconsin chautauqua yeah I, I'm not, I haven't seen anything from chautauqua um but i know there's 
Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, which are both kind of that Great Lakes, Leech Lake hybrid thing. Um, and then Ohio, New Jersey's got their own original Leech Lake strain. Um, now it's kind of New Jersey's version of that Leech Lake strain. And then Pennsylvania has always had the Ohio River fish. And then they brought in quite a few fish from Lake Erie. So it's that Leech Lake, you know, upper Mich- Michigan Peninsula type gene pool mixed with Lake Erie, you know, in the Erie water, western basin kind of genetics mixed with the inland muskies from like the Allegheny River kind of systems. You know, that's kind of the, the mixture that would be in pirate tuning now. Sounds like a cocktail of genetics. Yeah. But there has to be some type of Chautauqua genetics in there a little bit, yes? Well, I would think, but I don't know that – I don't know the history of the Chautauqua program. Um, I don't know where they originally got their fish from. You know what I mean? Like, I I assume there was quite a bit of trading going going back and forth. You know, they they might be very similar to – what Pennsylvania was doing back in the day, but maybe they traded with Union City more than they did Lionsville, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just I can't even I can't even guess what what they're doing up there. I just don't know enough about it. I guess I would like to think that because Chautauqua was kind of you know some headwaters of the Allegheny in in, in sorts that you know maybe not headwaters, but it 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 flows into that way back before man that you know was screwing around with this stuff that there'd be some kind of crossover like the Ohio, the, yeah, the Ohio and they, strain. They sh- and they sure look like them to me. Mm-hmm. When I, when I see Chautauqua fish, they look like a fish that could have come out of Edinburgh Lake. No, I don't really see any differences at all. Looks good to see. Cause I mean, do uh, you guys see any, you ever see any spots on the tails of those fish up there? Uh, well, we haven't in years cause they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But Vance, have you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I've seen that. The, the, the Chautauqua strain is so, so bizarre because you get, you get a different picture of fish throughout the year. Yeah. It, there's sometimes it, it, it seems that way, you know, and you can say a generality, like you catch one in June out of the weeds, it's all barred up. People think it's a tiger uh, it's got spots all over the tail. Sometimes you'll get a clear one that just has spots on the tail. Um, it, it's it's a very bizarre uh, mix of fish that is the Chautauqua strain. I would say that they are like part chameleon, though, because they do adapt to some things. Um, but, yeah, it, it's uh, these are all things that we have no... No concrete data for, um, but you got to think that there is yeah. some Chautauqua in Pennsylvania. Somewhere. Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially it's with like a, how we're all related, Tom Cruise. Somehow. With a fish that has such low reproductive success and the history of culturing muskies, I kind of imagine they've all been kind of jumbled together everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Um in it's one of those things that, you know, the genetic, the whole genetic conversation is probably one that would have been good to have 30 or 40 years ago. But at this point, the ship's kind of sailed. And obviously, we want to keep it in mind. We don't want to do any harm. 
Um, but it's also something that, you know, you, you can't undo what's already been done. So, you know, to bring in some Wisconsin fish isn't, you know, it's, it's certainly not going to be the end of the world kind of worries there would be if we we're bringing a brook trout from Montana and putting it in a class A trout stream or something. How dare Giants. you? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's great stuff. Um, Overall, what what how, how do you feel about do you know the the additional minnow fund money, the musky stamp stuff? Is this kind of like shining good positive light from you know the the pencil pushers and the fish commission saying, hey, this is something people want? You know, is this you know is is it is it impressing people? Like what what's, oh, what's the feel? A hundred percent. I mean, it is it is night and day. Everybody's excited about the musky program right now. Okay. I feel like you were the the whistleblower for that. I think I mean, everybody I, owes you a big thank you. The people, the people pushing for the the idea of purchasing extra muskies and putting them out there so that the musky anglers know that we're going to be doing that. Those were some of the people that were not interested in the musky program in the past. Everybody's excited now. What was and, there? You know, I go to, I go to meetings with guys that I know only bass fish, and they come up. My bureau director came up to me at the last meeting I was at. He goes, "I was fishing bass this summer, and I caught my first three muskies ever. Those damn things! I can't keep them off the hook." Nice. <laughs> I had a bass angler just tell me that the other day. He said, "I've I've lost three of my most expensive lures to muskies this year." Like, That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. but was there like talk at some time that they're like hey we're just going to axe this program because it's it's a it's a failure because there's no litmus test on any of this or you know was it like you know i never i don't think it ever got serious but i think i mean those discussions were definitely had i think it was i mean i don't think anyone ever it was never close. You know what I mean? I don't, as far as I know, you know what I mean? I but don't, there were some, maybe some grumbling somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard it all the time. You know, it's a, it's a million dollar program. It's, a, there's not a lot of people catching these things. There's not a lot of people fishing for them. What are we doing? You know, it's that million dollar I program. We, I know we hit on this on the first one, but wasn't it more like a $350,000 program? Well, uh, Back in the day when they got that million dollar thing was back when we were raising muskies at four different hatcheries. So the way you get to that million dollar program is every day when my fish culturists fill out their timesheets, they put down a code for each species that they worked on that day and how long they, what project they worked on and how long they worked on it. Then at the end of the year, all that stuff gets tabulated and it goes into, you know, it gets a percentage form. And whatever percentage of your time your crew spent on muskies, you're, you contribute that percentage of your budget to that fish kind of thing. You know what I mean? So okay. if you have, back in the day, we had three different hatcheries track netting for these fish, which was, you know, a seven-day-a-week operation with overtime for, you know, a month. With, you know, two crews, eight, you know, four guys from each hatchery, you know. It adds up, but then you go through the conversion process. You got four guys hovering over these tanks all day, trying to feed brown shrimp and sprinkling the stuff in there and cleaning the tanks, and that's for two to three months. And then, and then things slow down a little bit. But when you use seventeen guys to do that instead of four, and you add in all those wages, you get up to the one point one or the million dollar program. But now that we've consolidated at Linesville, 
and we have one crew doing the trap netting for these purebred muskies and we have one one or two or three guys cleaning tanks and feeding the fish that number drops drastically so now it's a 240 280,000 program okay and you know the the reason that I I was asking all this is you know whatever how, how off off the top of your head how much money was do, donated in the in the minnow fund you know this year it's got to be over five to eight thousand i think oh it's higher than that it was close to i think it was like seventeen thousand in in the minnow fund yep holy crap so seventeen thousand in minnow fund 32 i mean you're you're hovering really close to fifty thousand dollars so right you know 20 percent you know of of the budget like of of, right. of that is is just being an additional funds that weren't even asked for <laughs> that's a great way of looking at it. I mean, I, I, I think that that is, that is, that's impressive from, that is impressive. you know, not only have, as this, you guys streamlined it, but you're kind of spearheading all this really neat stuff, figuring all this right. stuff out. And, you know, the state, which is not when, when people like say, when you think of Pennsylvania, what kind of fishing do you think of? I guarantee you muskie's not in the top five. Right. Um, and you, you have this like little grassroots thing going on here and, um, they're, they're adding a huge percent to the budget right. and and it's, and that is going, you know, to the, the frills, you know, obviously there's, there's a baseline for expenses and labor, but when you can throw on 20% for, um, you know, the, the fun stuff, the neat stuff to take it to the next level. I mean, like at, at some point here, and if, if, if the musky stamp continues to do what it's doing, in five years, you might be scratching your head like, what are we going to do with this money? We have, like you've already said, all new equipment. Right. You know, I, I, you know, it's what do you do now? So That'll be a great problem to have, right? It, Make them bigger. That, that's right. <laughs> we, we've been trying these new steroids, and we, it's, it's in liquid form. We do a couple drops every few hours. Yeah, who knows? We, we're we stocking. put a heating system in for the outside raceways and raise them at eighty degrees all year round instead of letting them cool down over the winter. And, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll be seeing. Uh, we'll stock we'll stock twenty inches. Yeah, stock twenty. Yeah, we're stocking forty inches now. Where <laughs> <laughs> we have to put them in at nine months old because they're just too big for our tanks. Think about that. <laughs> if we had, if we heated that water through the winter, we in the spring we'd be four or five inches ahead of nature. <laughs> now we're gonna have Frankenfish. <laughs> we're stocking 20 inchers <laughs> we're stocking legal fish just like trout this is the new trout program there's guys walking down to the lake with like a you know they're walking back with their hip waders rolled down a yellow rope with three muskies on them and they're all swinging 42s but i mean you'd be out there bathing in the middle of winter swimming with the muskies right. absolutely I like it. Okay, quick question. Okay, and then I'll wrap it up. Still no natural reproduction happening in Pennsylvania. Well, there's none. And, you know, obviously in the in the big rivers, it, they do have significant natural reproduction. I don't know if it's enough to drive the fishery where we want it to be, but it's certainly enough that if we stopped stocking today, there'd be fish to fish for, you know what I mean? But okay, in, so in, inland lakes... Inland lakes, there's almost nothing. Okay. Very nice. Do you ever see in your career 
a closed season for Muskies in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Are you talking to protect the spawn and like in the rivers? Are you talking to protect the fish during the heat? What are you thinking? Not the heat. Okay. But uh, for for spawning. Yeah. I... Would you like to see one? How about that? <laughs> You're gonna get me hate mail. Yeah, this is all. This is all. It's right. one of those things that thing. it, it's a great. It's a great idea. It's you know. It's I get myself in trouble about poo pooing on the idea about the fifty inch minimum too. Like it's kind of in that, that same. Next, it's kind ahead. of in that same ballpark. It the numbers really don't sell me on that. That would make that big a difference. You know, I think there is significant natural reproduction, and if we protected them, could it be significantly more? Could it even if it doubled? it would not send the fishery to the next level. It's going, you know what I mean? That the fishery, if we relied on natural reproduction, it would be crappy fishing. You know what I mean? There would be fish to fish for, but it'd be crappy fishing. The fishery still relies on the stockings and we'll take all the natural reproduction we can get. We want it to be great. We want it to boost it. It's just, as far as I can tell, it's never going to be something that drives the, drives the fishery um same thing with the, the 50 inch minimum i just think there's the data you know we've been tracking the 40 inch change and there hasn't been the, the size of the fish that the biologists are catching in their trap nets is exactly the same as it was before that there's just there's not enough harvest of these fish if you have a good population you know if you were relying on natural reproduction then the 50 inch thing probably would make a sense or if stockings were being unsuccessful then the 50 inch thing would make sense but if you have a good population you're getting good recruitment from your annual stockings there's just not enough harvest to make a difference you know there people can take 60 40 inch fish out of farm tuning a year or 100 or 200 i don't even know what it is but i'm sure it's not that high you know what i mean that but they could and it's not gonna it wouldn't dent it it, you know what I mean? One of two of those fish might have made it to 50 inches in 10 years, but you know, there's still 30,000 out there that have the capability of doing that. You know, it's um, that's not to say that I, I love like seeing fish harvested. I, I wish every fish got released, every fish had a chance to make it, see if they that's the one that has the genetics to make it to 56 inches. But in the real world, you know, when somebody catches a a 42 inch fish and it's their first muskie ever and they don't want to do a replica and they want to hang it over their fireplace i'm happy for them you know that's that's part of the experience too you know it's not you know i like talking to you guys and people that love muskie fishing but that guy that was out crappy fishing and caught the fish of a lifetime he's going to tell his grandkids about the rest of his life that's exciting too that's neat you know it's that's a memory that we made you know no doubt I, I'm I'm from I'm from the viewpoint of um, no size limit. That's just that's just me, and I think that there could be other regulations to to kind of keep that in check. But um, I'm not a big fan of of giant size limits. I I think it it tends to lead to waste. But yeah, I mean, look at primary tuning. Like that's what I keep telling people. They're like, if you raise the raise the size limit, the fishing will be better. Like. It's pretty darn good the with a 30 fishing inch. Fishing is insane. And it's a 30 inch size limit. Is that, is that ruining the fishing? <laughs> it's just a bunch of it's, it's just people that just got into it that are catching them and have no idea what they're talking about because they made it such a good fishery. 
yeah, the, the, the science is the science. You know what I mean? The numbers are the numbers. It just, it's pretty clear to me. And, and the other thing is you don't want to change, you know, it's not, it's certainly not an emergency. If, if we, if you got to a fantastic fishery with a 30 inch size limit, like it's not the 30 inch size limit certainly isn't going to ruin it. That's what I keep hearing is it's so great. We got to change it before it gets ruined. Like it got there despite that limit. So that would make you wild. think it's going to change by leaving it there. <laughs> yeah. That... Well, I saw somebody keep one. That's, <clears throat> that's essentially the, the data that they have. Yeah, that's exactly what it usually is. Is because I yeah. get messages, you know, like somebody will send me an instant message in the evening, say, "I, I saw somebody keep a muskie tonight. We gotta, we gotta stop this. It's gonna ruin everything." Like, or they they saw somebody that was pan fishing, and uh, they hooked a muskie while they were trolling or casting by, and it was just absolutely sickening to them right. to see that we have to do something about this. I could I could see that uh, right. happening, and it's just like, God. yeah, it's one of those things. It bothers me. When I'm, no, but know, that's, that's that's what would that's what drives the comment, the idea of we have to have these these limits, uh, you know, because fishermen, pan fishermen, a hook accidentally hooked one. I mean, it's it's going to happen. Happens all the time. Right. So, but just let it go. I mean, the fishery is fantastic and right. um, it's going to continue to be that way. Don't really think the size, the size limit thing sucks. And we've talked about that. Um, it really sucks for muskie anglers because if you do catch one um, that's below that, that size limit and Every muskie angler, you know, wants to, to release the fish. But if your size limit's 36 and then all of a sudden you just, you know, got bad hooks on this 34 and you literally are obligated legally to let it lay, kind of right. sucks. Right. So 30 is not a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. I like it. Jared, is there anything you want to say to kind of wrap this up or we're approaching over an hour and a half? Can I ask one more question? I told you one and you're done. Okay. Let me ask one more question. No. Uh, biggest, don't have to say where, biggest Pennsylvania muskie you got in the nets in 2021. In 2021, we, we had five over 50 out of pine tuning and two of them were 52. Well, I said you didn't have to say where it was, but there you <laughs> well, go. Yeah, well, you got twenty thousand. You got twenty thousand <laughs> acres to find them. So, right, <laughs> that's cool. Awesome. Perfect. Pretty cool stuff. Well, thanks, guys. I always enjoy being on. I, I, I I'm Thank glad you, you took so the much. time, and uh, you know, I, I I bugged you for a very long time intermittently just i didn't want to become a bother to get you on to talk about this but i i feel it's important to to get yep. this, this word I, out so i wanted to i just didn't want to put anything out there until i knew for sure what the, the final numbers were so and i appreciate we, that we tell everybody that the money's going to the right place all those fears at the beginning of the program that 
the money was never going to be used for what it was supposed to be used for. And, you know, everybody and their brother said that, you know, well, I'd, I'd gladly do it if I knew the money was going to go where it's going to go. Well, it's going where it's going to go. So please buy them. <laughs> you heard it here. And, then, and thank you guys for pushing that program. And thank you guys for your contributions to the Minnow Funds. You guys are doing an awesome job. Thank you. We appreciate all your efforts as well. They go largely unsung with all those new trucks. We can't hear you with the loud radios. <laughs> <laughs> As you're driving, you know, only uh, five and a half, uh, 550,000 steelhead to the to the creek while you're pocketing all the extra <laughs> money. <laughs> so, Love it. All right. I'm glad how we, we wrapped that one up. And th- these were all jokes, people. Um, all right. Big thanks to Fatty Z Muskie Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, St. Croix Rods, Ranger Boats, Vix Marine, and Aqua Traction. All right. Um, it's getting colder. Uh, fall fatties. Everyone, good luck fishing, good luck hunting. Thanks for listening.